Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Listen, all you New Yorkers. Hello. I hope no one's eating dinner. Something like that. What's up, everybody? It's 10 o'clock on Monday night, which means it's time for the next best thing. Dear Jesus. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, and I'll be with you for the next two hours. Well, get ready. Don't go anywhere. We have a great, 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 great show lined up for you tonight. I can't even contain myself. But before we get to any of that, we'd like to kick the show off by doing what we always do, and that is review all of the great and the not-so-great things that have happened on... This Day in History. Today is November 5th, and on this day in history, in 1872, in the United States, Susan B. Anthony was fined $100 for attempting to vote in the presidential election. She never paid the fine, because how in the world could she have afforded it? $100? This is a woman we're talking about. I'm kidding. I'm ashamed. On this day, in 1935, the game Monopoly was introduced by Parker Brothers Company. I've never understood the appeal. Yeah, let's play a game that'll take an hour and a half and where there's no action, no action at all. On this day in 1940, U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt won an unprecedented third term in office. Let's hope that never, ever, ever happens again. At least not anytime soon. On this day in history, in 1998, the year of our Lord, scientists published a genetic study that showed strong evidence that Thomas Jefferson fathered at least one child of his slave, Sally Hemings. I have so much time left to kill that I can barely even believe it. I guess I could sing La Cucaracha, La Cucaracha, da, 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 da. but that would not go well with this random ass background music. I'm just killing time and saying stupid stuff because why not? This has been fun. We have a great show for you tonight, so stay tuned. And, um, yeah, that's what happened on this day in history. And who knows? Perhaps we'll make history right here tonight on Radio Free Brooklyn and be studied for years to come. But who are we kidding? Probably not. You're listening to The Next Best Thing. I'm Jonathan B. Lerner. Stay tuned or I'll haunt you in your dreams. Holy sweet mother of God, it is 10 o'clock on a Monday night, so you know what that means. Is it time for your favorite show ever? No! But it is time for the next best thing. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, keeping you company every Monday night from 10 until midnight right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Can you hear me? One second. Testing. One, two, three. Are we on? Great. Anywho, we do ask you to remember that we are fully listener and producer supported. If you like what you hear on Radio Free Brooklyn, if you like what you hear tonight, please consider going to our website, going to this show's page and donating a little something something to keep us in business if you like what you hear tonight well a donation could ensure that you will get to hear more next week and the weeks after that uh if you feel so inclined you can go to rfb.nyc slash nbt again that's rfb.nyc slash nbt oh man that was exhausting wasn't it 
It was for me. I'm sure it was for you, too. So that's all the housekeeping I can think of right now. If I've forgotten anything. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Good. You're listening to The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn. This is the special coverage of the midterm elections. The people's choice. What choice will they make? Good or evil? Smart or dumb? Oh, God. Oh, sweet mother of God. No, but really, this is the night before the midterm elections. This is the next best thing. And apparently, I mean, this could be considered our special coverage of the midterm elections. Holy crap, tomorrow's the day. I've had this day put in my calendar, actually on a countdown app, since November 12th, 2016. You probably remember how many, uh, you probably remember what happened a few days before that. This seems like a very hot mic, but whatever, can't do anything about that now because I don't know anything about technology or audio, so great. Anywho, we have a great show put together for you tonight. Jarrett Berenstein, who you might recognize as a host on Radio Free Brooklyn. He hosts the famous Dead People show. Great show, funny show. He's also a stand-up comic and a published author. He's going to be coming in tonight to discuss his recent stand-up tour and getting out the vote, why it's important to him, how it has changed his comedy, how it has changed his freaking life, how it has changed all of our lives. We're all doomed. Uh, anyway, so, but before he gets in and before we do delve into the midterm elections, which, by the way, are happening tomorrow, and if you don't vote, then you don't, oh, God, I can't even tell you. Seriously. I always say apathy is the enemy, but if you don't vote, then you are the enemy. See how those are connected? If you don't vote, that must mean you're apathetic. Apathy is the enemy, so that would make you the enemy. Vote. Care. Do something constructive. Productive. You lazy shit. Anyway, we're full of love and joy. And a little bit of fear. (laughs) Because we all know how good we were feeling the night before Hillary Clinton didn't get elected or at least wasn't allowed to be elected because of Russia and whatnot. We were all feeling very confident. Every poll in the world said that she, and I actually have this saved on my laptop, screenshots of all of the various polls and all of the various closing statistics going into not just the day of the election, but that evening. 538 had her at 86%. The New York Times upshot had her at like, Actually, excuse me, 538 had her at 79%. The Upshot, New York Times, had her at 89%. There's a website called Electoral Vote. That website had her around, I think it was 87%. Needless to say, we were all feeling pretty goddamn good. And then we know what happened. So I don't feel good about anything ever. I never have since. They say the Democrats are in prime spot to take back the House. Horse manure. And as I sit here, I'm preparing myself with the various Republicans working to suppress the vote around the goddamn country and perhaps another helping hand from Russia. The GOP could take over entirely. I mean, 100 
seats in the Senate Republican-controlled. Wouldn't that just be glorious? Hell no, motherfuckers! Halloween's over, folks, but man, have you ever heard anything scarier than that? The answer is no. Speaking of Halloween, now, I believe this is our first show back since before Halloween, so we will be moving on, I promise you. However, as we always do, we want to talk a little bit about what's going on in the news, what's going on in the world, and that includes what's going on in my news and in my world. So, last night, I saw the Halloween sequel, remake, whatever you want to call it. Now, I'd been looking forward to it because... If you recall, every year around Halloween, during the month of October, I do a best scary movie show, the scariest movies of all time. And I somewhat reluctantly include Halloween in there, not because I really believe it should be in there, but because I respect the history, I know people love it, and I respect where, you know, its place and what it did for the genre. And that's true. All of that is true. But... I say in my review very clearly that I am bothered by Halloween for a number of reasons. First and foremost, it this movie that came out most recently, and this is not an exaggeration and it's certainly not a joke, the movie that just came out of Halloween is the 11th film. What? The 11th iteration of this freaking franchise. That, my friends is regoddamn ridiculous. Truly regoddamn ridiculous. And you want to know why? No. It would be regoddamn ridiculous no matter what the subject matter was, no matter who was in it. But it's even more ridiculous when you consider the fact that they are all the same. That is so true, isn't it, girls? They're all the same. These movies are all the same. I was excited to see this film for a number of reasons. One of them was... It had been a number of years since I had sat through one of the films. I didn't see the last two or three versions of Halloween. Didn't need to. And so I thought, you know what? This is getting all sorts of publicity and hype that it's a whole new chapter. They're really kind of turning the page. Forget about all those crappy sequels. This is a direct sequel and it's going to be something different. We're going to learn some things. It's going to see something new. We're going to experience different types of fear and a different type of Michael Myers. Wrong! We didn't. I'm sorry. It was exactly the same. There were some nice, fun callbacks to the original film from 1978. That's for damn sure. But ultimately, what did we have? We had a mental patient, total lunatic, who doesn't speak and wears a mask, killing people indiscriminately egregious blood and violence and murder. That was it. That was it. And that was Halloween 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, H2O, Resurrection. Uh, the rem- I will say there two of the 11 films were the Rob Zombie movies, which technically were not sequels. They were remakes and revamps. Fine, let's take those out of the picture. There are nine films that's still, oh, I don't know, six too many. There are too many of these films, and they're talking about making another one, and it's really, I can't even, I, I have no words. Stop making these Halloween movies. This was a fine film, I guess, but I, we had seen it a thousand times before. The only difference is Jamie Lee Curtis looked older because she is older. I am so, you know, my complaint about Halloween 
has always been that we have this guy who is apparently a human who can get shot, who can get stabbed, who can get run over by a car, who can get electrocuted, who literally in one of the films can have his goddamn head chopped off and still live. That doesn't make sense. Find me a human who can do all of that. Find me a human who can have their head chopped off and then suddenly a few years later have it back on and be powerful enough to go back and kill people. You couldn't. So right there you lose me because it's like uh, I thought he was a human. He's apparently not. I don't know what you're saying. But also, and here's the bigger thing, there's no motivation. He's just a crazy person. Now, okay, he's a crazy person. You know, whatever, fine. He's just this crazy person who's killing indiscriminately and I mean, nonstop and very bloody and blah, blah, blah. I, I mean, I, I didn't hate the film. It sounds like I did. I am more just baffled at the idea that they are still making these films 40 years later and there's nothing different about them. And we're still throwing money at it. I don't know. Maybe I'm too worked up about it. But hey, we're living in some times where I'm a little edgy. We're all a little edgy. And if we're not a little edgy, we should be. Why aren't you edgy? The world is at stake. All right. I'll let this go, okay? Fine. Moving right along. Okay, moving right along here. Uh, what else is going on in the world and the news? Well, Pete Davidson of Saturday Night Live is in a little bit of hot water because, oh my God, you'll never believe it, he made a joke. What? No! All right, so I'm going to play a clip. This is from The View. You've probably heard of that show. It's a clip within a clip because they actually play Pete Davidson and then they talk about it. Then I'm going to talk about them. Did you follow that? Just listen. You know, SNL's Pete Davidson got himself into trouble Saturday night for making this really crappy joke on Weekend Update. <coughs> Take a look. I realize there are some really gross people running for office this year, so here are my first impressions. Dan Crenshaw. Uh, oh, come on, man. Yo, hold on. Uh, you may be surprised to hear he's a congressional candidate from Texas and not a hitman in a porno movie. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I know he lost his eye in, in war or whatever. <laughs> You know, his castmate Kenan Thompson, who's going to be here tomorrow, mm -hmm. has kind of said, you know, maybe Pete should, like, apologize or something. Ideas, thoughts? Uh, you know, Saturday Night Live uh, doesn't take any prisoners. Mm -hmm. They've been on the air for, like, what, 40, 50 years now? I mean, this is, like they, took a, they took a shot at Alec Baldwin as part of their family. Mm -hmm. So they go after a lot of people. And, um, and this kid, Davidson, um, his father died in 9-11. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And he said, I like Bye -bye. making mm -hmm. things that, I like making things that are dark, awkward, weird things that you don't really find funny, funny. There's nothing I won't joke about, and I think it's because of what happened to me. So, I mean, he's coming from a place of, you know, you make fun of things that are so painful to lighten the load. Hmm. That's where he's coming from. But I it's think. because of well, those veterans that allows him to sit and do that job every yes. day, to tell those jokes. I'm bummed because I really like Pete Davidson, uh, and I thought it was completely tone deaf, and not just him, but the producers behind him that helped write it. It's not like it's just free speaking. They, he's looking at note cards when he's reading it. So this was all rehearsed. This was planned in advance, and I thought the response from but the politician was that, classy. It's that Crenshaw, it was a Navy SEAL who did five tours of duty. He lost his right eye when he was hit by an IED blast in Afghanistan, and then returned and did mm -hmm. another deployment two more times. So I'm sorry. I 
I had such a problem with this over the weekend. I'm not a snowflake. I can laugh at jokes. I would think if your father died on 9-11, I don't know his story at all, but maybe you would be more empathetic to people who sacrifice. I found it very offensive. I do not speak for all. She was about to say, I do not speak for all veterans. Now, why would she say that? You know, my dad was a pulmonologist. He basically ran part of the education system at a medical center. Do you think I would ever, 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 ever think to say to someone, now listen, I don't speak for all of the medical community, but no, because who the hell would ever think I spoke for the medical community? Her dad was a veteran. Her dad was a senator. I don't speak for the, all the veterans. Of course you don't, Megan. You're not a veteran. And get the hell over it. I cannot believe... There is a white supremacist running for governor in my home state of Kansas. And you know what? He might win. That is something to talk about on the goddamn view. This is so... <laughs> Do you know how many bad jokes have been made on Saturday Night Live in the past 42 years? Nobody cares. Way more than I could possibly count. You know, at the 40th, I believe it was the 40th anniversary special, Dana Carvey, who's very famous, really, for being on that show, went on and did one of his most famous characters on Weekend Update, the church lady. And at one point, he said something about, well, my favorite show is Westworld, and really, it's getting a little, you know, homoerotic, we should call it West. Hollywood. Nobody laughed. It was very awkward. Did the gays get up in arms? Did, or excuse me, even more ridiculously, did sisters and daughters and friends of the gays get up in arms because it was a bad joke? And why would he even, I mean, what are you saying that because Westworld is, is kind of weird that gay community, are they weird? Get over it. This is, he made a joke about a guy who has an eye patch. And you know what's interesting? The guy who has an eye patch, he's quoted as saying, you know what? I try not to be offensive and I try harder not to be offended. That is how people should respond. This is so ridiculous. And it pisses me off, first of all, that Megan gets, Megan and Abby Huntsman or whoever get all indignant about this like it is because of the veterans that he is able to say these things blah 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 oh my god oh my god look at what's going on in the country we have a fat bloated psychopath as our president and you're complaining about a bad joke on saturday night live someone should kick you square in the ovaries now i'm going to keep the clip going because even Whoopi goes on to piss me off. I do not speak for all veterans. I only speak for myself. But I will say that if it were Tammy Duckworth, was also a hero as well, uh, and a veteran of uh, uh, the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, if someone had been making fun of her, I, I don't know if we'd have the same reaction. I don't know if it's because he's a Republican. I don't know. But the response was Is conservatives are angry. Yes, and he's going to win, by the way. 538 says he has a 90% chance of winning, so he's going to be a congressman tomorrow. And I just think that I don't understand why take pot shots at people who have served and made such sacrifices. Well, it just wasn't funny. I that's mean, it just wasn't. The problem is the joke wasn't funny. Let's, I, when I say now, that's true. It really wasn't very funny. But again, do you know how many things have happened on SNL that were not funny? So many things have happened on SNL that were not funny. No one, we don't spend days talking about it or, you know, having meetings about it. For God's sake, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? Ladies, 
you know, you just make me want to go, and I might. So anyway, what else is going on in the news? I mean, this is just some horrible stuff. Horrible. All right, you're listening to The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm Jonathan B. Lerner, and we're going to be back in just a moment. And welcome in Jarrett Berenstein, host of Famous Dead People, stand-up comic, published author, political activist, and just an all-around great guy. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and we are going to be right back. Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So, if you'd like to support our mission so we can continue to bring you quality community radio, we invite you to make a one-time donation or monthly pledge at radiofreebrooklyn.org/donate. You can donate as little as a dollar, and every cent helps helps us to continue to stay on the air so please please help support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford and remember rfb is a 501c3 nonprofit, so your contribution is tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law again that's radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate this is the next best thing Recently rewatched the original superman movie from the 1970s i don't know if you guys remember that one but there is a montage in that movie where Superman is flying around helping people, and one of the things he does is he gets a little girl's cat out of a tree. And the little girl is so happy, she runs in the house, and she goes, Mommy, Mommy, a man flew out of the sky and got my cat for me. Then I swear to God, you hear this in the house, the mom goes, What have I told you about telling lies? <laughs> She smacks her kid. I was watching that and I was like, yeah, I was Superman. Way to solve the real problem there, buddy. <laughs> big fan of television also. I'm a big fan of Law & Order. I saw something on Law & Order recently that I'd never seen before. It was a scene between these two cops and they were arguing about whether or not they were allowed to arrest somebody. The first cop says to the second cop, we can't arrest him. We don't even have a body yet. But then the second cop gets a text message, looks at his phone, and he goes, We do now. They found a body by the Hudson. And as a fan, I was really upset that we didn't get to see that scene where somebody's walking by the Hudson and finds a dead body and is like, I have got to text my cop friend about this. He loves this. He loves stuff like this. <laughs> I feel like that couldn't have been a phone call. <laughs> How jaded are you that you find a dead body and you're like, this is a text. This is a text. I don't want to type the whole thing out if I can avoid it. Is there an emoji for body by the Hudson? <laughs> So that was Jarrett Berenstein performing on the Fox TV show, Laughs. Jarrett is a published author, stand-up comedian, and host of the great podcast, Famous Dead People, which is homed right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. So now, as promised, Jarrett Berenstein, thanks Hello. for being on the show. How's it's it going? nice how the tables have turned here. Yeah, it's so <laughs> nice to be in the interview seat. Is it weird? Oh, no, it's a delight. I don't have to worry about levels. I don't have right. to worry about anything. It's just someone else's show. 
So I didn't realize you were a native of L.A. You were a Los Angelino. That is right. Born and raised. So as a comic, did you ever, because I know the comedy store, the famous comedy stores out there. And when I hear about people's upbringing, like Letterman and really Leno, like most of them, they all have their time in New York, but then they all seem to end up in L.A. for some reason. Yeah. So have you ever thought about going home or did oh, you? Oh, definitely. Really? Yeah, yeah. So what I keeps think about you it all the time. Oh, I just, first of all, I'm a big fan of New York. Um, yeah, I've, I've been out to L.A. a whole bunch of times since I've lived out here. I performed out in L.A. a bunch of times since I lived out here. And there's a real distinct difference between the two communities of stand-up comedians. And everybody that I know that goes out there to, to do stand-up, to be a stand-up comedian, says that it's worse. That it's harder to do what we do here in New York. To do multiple sets a night. To jump around from spot to spot. To go to an open mic to work on something and then go do a spot that night or whatever. And that the threshold of talent is so much higher here. The people at the open mics here, they're really in the grind. The people at the open mics or the shows out there, uh, they seem to be doing it just to get on television as opposed mm. to doing it for the craft. That being said, like, it's not that bad of a place to be. I've had some really great trips out there where I've done stand-up and the sun has been shining and the birds have been singing and it smells nice. <laughs> but the birds aren't that funny. That's true. That's the, the birds problem. aren't that funny. Getting on TV is not a bad thing either. No, no, you're right. Um, I have been sort of holding back until I had an opportunity as opposed to going out there and trying to find, trying to build a new community and trying to get an opportunity. Right. And that might may or may not be the smartest thing in the entire world. Like I might have done better uh, if I had moved out there a bunch of years ago or moved out there today, but you never know. But, but at least you know what life out there is like. I mean, you lived there. Yeah. A lot of yeah. times it's people, if they live anywhere else and they're trying to pick between New York or LA, they really, you know, they're just kind of going off a whim, like which one's better or which one, not even is better, but which one is more suitable to them. Mm -hmm. It's funny because the way you describe it with the type of people and the, the scene there whether it's comics or actors or whatever, that's how I feel. But when I had the, I had Billy Magnuson in here fairly recently, and he was talking about how like there are more. I mean, he had the exact opposite view. We agreed that people out there are very much about how they look, and it's like a bunch of people who won prom queen and king, and they've been told they should be in movies. But he said here it's like people who come and like realize it's so competitive, they go home. So it's like they would get weeded mm. out. I disagree. I completely disagree. Well, they get weeded out from doing stand-up or just being in entertainment in general? Well, when they come here and they realize how hard it is to earn money and to get jobs, whether it's acting or stand-up, whatever, they'll go home. And so then it leaves just the great people. That's not true. There are so many people here who are terrible. Yes, that is true. <laughs> I mean, to so many people are terrible. And I'm not talking just about comics or actors. I'm talking about everything. Yeah, just bad people. Well, just some bad people I mean, here. I just mean like, because everyone comes here, whether it's, you know, they want to be a financial advisor or whatever, they all come here because this is where they need to be to get, you know, the job or whatever. Or writers. I mean, how many things I go in and read for and I'm just like, oh, this is just no thanks. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want this. It's horrible. Yeah. So, you know, not to sound. Yeah, no, I don't think that that's a, uh, you know, indicative of a giant difference between you know, how we view the New York and L.A. scene. That's right. just, you know, another element of, you know, the New York scene. Yeah. You know, it's not better in L.A. People aren't, like, going there and realizing how easy it is and staying. Right, true. You know, people are getting filtered out there for uh, not being beautiful enough or yeah, getting taken advantage of. Because you agree that that is, it is way more superficial there. 
Uh, I think so. Because you are trying to get on into movies or television or whatever. And so they do have a very like an L.A. look about them. Yeah, I think that it's not that out there to suggest that the people in L.A. are <laughs> they're trying to be in the entertainment industry, whereas the people in New York are trying to get good at their craft. Absolutely. And, you know, there are still, you know, awesome people out there in Los Angeles who are great at what they do. But I think that that dynamic causes the people who are just very pretty and trying to get by on that to flock to LA as opposed to, as opposed to come to New York. Right. So you also, well, you just got back from a cross country tour, right? Yes, sir. So you've been all over the place. 17 States, 24 cities, 28 shows total. And how'd that go? Over five weeks. It was awesome. This is Uh the longest tour I've ever done. I've done weekends places. Um, and I've done one nighters places, but I have not done a five week stint all on the road doing shows Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, all over the place. It was just, it was just awesome. It was just the most concentrated, productive, fun, uh, validating comedic experience really? that I think I've had in my career. Yeah. Wow. And I, the fact that I got along with other comedians was just a, an added bonus. That had, totally. I yeah. mean, I, because uh, when I was on tour with this show and I, whenever I get offered anything that makes me leave New York, my first impulse is to be like, okay, why can't I do this? Like, why, what am I going to use to say no? Hmm. Only because being on the road with other people that you don't know, it's just a crapshoot whether or not you're going to like them. It's, it's, it's like, it's a, for how long? How long did you do? Five months? Five weeks. Oh, five weeks. Five months. See, oh, was boy. Five that would have been a whole thing. See, ours was five months. Oh, five months on the road. Uh, yeah, because it was touring. Oh, it was wow. a touring show. It was Were like you a, coming back to New York in between? The, sporadically. And that's one of the reasons why I was like, okay, I, I can do this. Five months on the road? Yeah. That's well, the most. Well, so, I mean, if you go in like. too you, much. If you're on like the tour of uh, Wicked or something, you could be on the road for nine months. That's true. That's a good point. I want to hear more about that. I'll well, well, you on my show just well, to tell me more yeah. about that experience. Well, what I was going to say was that seeing from venue to venue and state to state and city to city, seeing the difference in just kind of landscape, but also how the what the audience reacted to and how they just, it was interesting and cool to see. Did you uh, definitely. find that? Oh, 100%. I mean, we, our audiences were kind of filtered through the headliner. The headliner... Okay has a very specific audience that were coming out to see him. So oh, when gotcha. we were in Little Rock and Bentonville and Nashville and Memphis, we weren't necessarily getting a statistically average person from those places. We were getting people who were already a fan of the headliner, who is notoriously progressive liberal. Who is it? Uh, Steve Hofstetter. Okay. Uh, and so people were, they wanted to go see him. And so we were getting very friendly audiences that knew that things might be leaning towards a more liberal That's progressive good. bent. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I also wouldn't mind doing shows for uh, an extremely pro- uh, conservative crowd. Would that change your act at all or how you presented it? I think so. I mean, there's definitely jokes in there where I was a little nervous when I, we were in Spokane mm-hmm. uh, or Fargo. Yeah. Where I was like kind of slowly dipping my toes into the material yeah. about being a liberal and about, you know, what I don't understand about conservatives you know, there's definitely a change there. There's definitely a difference it, as opposed to doing that material in Portland or Seattle. Right. But oh, right. I still like doing that material in front of those crowds just because it's communication. Yes. It's I'm I have these thoughts. And instead of being, um, you know, blatant and proud of it the way I would be in Seattle or Portland, being a little bit more demure and saying, listen, guys, like I apologize, but this is how I feel. And let's talk about it. Well, OK. And with the clips we heard 
about Superman and Law and Order, those could appeal to anybody of any political yes. stripe, which for the longest time, that was my goal. Just would, to be well, a, uh, an, uh, to be a Mario Lopez. Who? No, come on. What? No. To be nice no. and digestible. Who? I know to... who that. Slater. <laughs> no, but like, to be honest with you, one of the best stand-ups, or best stand-up sets at least, that I thought I'd ever seen, and people always roll their eyes when I say this, but it's Ellen DeGeneres' specials. Not her show. I hate her show. But I'm talking about her the beginning and here and now. when Because everything she talks about, especially the one that was right after she, she came out, and she she made one joke about coming out, but everything else was about, you know, stuff that, uh, forgetting people's names and making it up. Yeah. Uh, observational know, stuff. Very observational, but yeah. stuff that happens to everybody. Mm -hmm. Stuff that is funny to black people, white people, men, women, gays, straight. Like, it doesn't matter because it happens to all of us. Now, I feel like you're talking about Trump because you can't talk about anything else. It's like it takes over our whole world. Yeah. Did you, has your show become political, very political? I've been trying to figure out how to be political for a very long time. I've been passionate about politics long before Trump was a thing. Right. Um, and, but it was something that I always felt really strongly about. And so I had a really hard time, you know, turning something into a joke and not just a very angry rant against, yeah. you know, uh, ex extremely rich elites who are gerrymandering the system just to drain more money from the proletariat, you know? Truly evil. Yeah, I, I try to do this joke about how these people are Bond villains, you know? Like, they're murdering people. Yeah, and I used to do a joke like that, too, about how Trump truly, and like not even, you know, could be confused as he truly seems like Biff Henderson. Yeah. Not Biff Henderson. That's Letterman's guy. Uh, we've got Biff, Biff from, from Back, Back to, to the, the Future. Future. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and there's that in one of the sequels, he actually like becomes rich and powerful and like takes over the city or whatever. Becomes a real piece of shit Trump style thing. And that was my fear. Mm -hmm. And and then he won. Yeah. And so now it's like things have not stopped being funny, but it is hard because sometimes it does. You just get into like these rants angry. Yeah. So how do you because like Mark Marin? He's he takes pride in being angry, uh, being a ranter. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, even he has his craft. He has sure. his way of making it not just that thing. For sure. Um, I don't know. I'm still trying to crack it like I have a lot of material. Um, it was really fun listening to those jokes. I haven't done those jokes in a long time. Really? Uh, oh, does that actually happen in Superman, by the way? Oh, yeah. Does yeah. it really? Yeah, you get a real loud slap in the they face. They put that sound. in the script? It was a different time, you uh, know? It was a different time. Your you could, lies. You could just hit your kid for saying they Jesus. saw Superman back then. Um, that's hilarious. Nice stuff, a lot of material. I, I tend to end my material stuff about sex and dating because I feel like that stuff has a lot of universality and a lot of punch. Mm -hmm. um, but I just love the stuff that's more... Uh, specific and oh, oh not, not universal. Yeah. I want to be I, I want to be specific. I want to write material that nobody else can write because it's specifically about me. Oh, I and whether you. or not that has to do with my political beliefs or weird things like how much I love Boston accents. Mm -hmm. I want to do that material now, and it's and it's harder to write, and it's harder to get an audience to sort of like come on that journey with you. Mm -hmm. But that's the stuff that I'm excited about right now. And if you watch my set, the beginning of it is very much that where I'm like these are my new thoughts and they're mine and I haven't heard these takes from anybody else and I feel strongly about these things and then we sort of like lean into the things that are going to be like and eh, don't you hate it when this happens to you you know <laughs> what's the deal with yeah <laughs> well you're also I didn't know this about you you're also an improviser yes, and sir. you performed the Upright Citizens Brigade the People's Improv Theater and you're currently on Junior Varsity a house team at the Magnet Theater that's right so how do you feel about 
Upright Citizens Brigade. Um, I have some very mixed feelings about the Upright Citizens Brigade. As an institution, I don't think anybody can deny how great and Leviathan it is. It's brought improv to so many people. It's made it so mainstream. It's launched so many incredible careers. There's like entire generations of people that went on to yeah. be TV writers, TV producers, uh, showrunners, act successful actors. Um, you know, it, the the list goes on and on. Everybody has UCB on their resume now if they're at that certain level. But now that you, you know, having been on a house team at Magnet for so many years and you've worked at People's Improv Theater, mm -hmm. do you see how it kind of like overshadows them? And does that bother Definitely, you? Definitely. But I mean, it bothers me in the sense that like, you know, it's really hard to not appear like the bitter person. Well, when you go to the pit or to the Magnet after being at the UCB, you know, you could be looked on as, oh, they only hate the UCB because they couldn't hack it there. But I really didn't like how uh, cutthroat and anonymous the community was over there. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I had to fight tooth and nail for every inch of stage time that I got. When I went over to the Magnet, I was, I don't want to say like I'm special. We were all embraced mm -hmm. and we were given the room to discover the kind of improvisers that we were going to become. Right. And I've never... I've, I've never in my time in entertainment felt that kind of welcoming. When I wanted to start experimenting with doing solo shows, I there, there was a show over there where you, you submit an application and they give you like a 30-minute spot. And mm. so I emailed them and I said, hey, just wanted to let you know I'm going to be submitting for this thing. And instead of, you know, replying like, oh, great, you know, like get it to us by Tuesday, they were like, how about you just do Friday at 8 o'clock? You can have the whole hour by yourself. Really? Yeah. And I was like, this is so different. This is so wonderful and nurturing is that because they knew you and knew that you would do a good show or is it because they had this time to fill uh, uh that's a very cynical way of looking well, at no, it no no i mean well how long had you been working with them for a while it is true i had been working there for a long time and they're not going to just give friday at eight o'clock yeah. to just anybody that walks in uh off the street but at the same time you don't have to like i was at the ucb for i think like two or three years and i still had to you know oh, yeah uh, i had to do all of the the steps if I wanted to get it is, anything. That's my biggest complaint about it mm -hmm. is that it is so, you have to take all the classes, 101, 2, 3, 401. And then after 401, you, you know, that's the, that's technically the end of their program. But then there's advanced study and then they want you to take sketch or character yeah. or this each class two to $400. And there are so many people. It's like, it's just so big that it's right. You are fighting for stage time. And it's also, mm -hmm. you kind of, it's so easy to get it lost in the. Yeah. That's actually my second biggest complaint about the UCB. My first being that it feels like a lot of the teachers are checked out. It feels like a lot of the teachers are running off to go do auditions for commercials and things like that. And so the, the people ones. that I talk to that have been taking classes there recently, they say, you know, I signed up to do it with this person. I saw them three times and every other time it was a, it was a sub and a different That's sub, bad. you know? That's really and bad. And like I said, that is not a statement that I'm willing to, I'm not a hill I'm going to die on because I right. have not seen it myself, but it's just what I heard through the grapevine. Right. This I didn't mean for this to be like a bash on UCB. I just meant it for, it's like, let people know there are other improv programs out oh, there yeah. to explore. What I, what I tell people is, you know, the UCB is an incredible environment. They give people a lot of exposure and opportunities. Mm -hmm. But if what you want to do is explore your craft and you want to, let's say that you want to do improv. Mm -hmm. If I say, hey, if you just want to do improv, and you want to do a lot of improv. 
you you should not go to the UCB because you're not going to get the kind of experience and opportunities that you would at a smaller theater like the Magnet or the Pits. For sure. And I always tell some people to the Magnet because that's my home theater. Right. You know, and I have a lot of warm feelings. And it's place. more nurturing. Yeah. You feel, you feel. Yeah. Uh, what do you, were you an improviser before a stand-up? Uh, yes. I started doing improv. I had moved to New York. I was waiting tables. I didn't really have any direction. I was just kind of like drinking with my waiter buddies pretty mm-hmm. much every single night of the week. Yeah, that's a direction. Oh, it was, it was <laughs> you, you were know, professional at that. It was a lot of fun. What I didn't realize was that what I didn't, the only thing I didn't like about college was like all the classes and studying and stuff. And <laughs> when I became a waiter and we were just were like drinking and partying as though we were still in college, but no no response, no books to read, no, yeah. no papers to write. <laughs> and we had a great time for a while, but then I sort of had to have a, you know, come to Jesus moment and think, what am I going to do with all this time because really all I'm doing is being hung over like right. that's my only activity right now <laughs> and so I started taking classes at the UCB mm-hmm. I kind of realized that I had this itch for improv and I had always been a huge comedy fan and I'd always wanted to do it but I just didn't know what the proper avenue was mm-hmm. and taking those classes made me it just you know gave me a little taste of something that I knew I just that I desperately wanted from that point on did you then try stand up on your own and kind of go to open mics or stuff or did because i knew someone who actually took a stand-up class kind of like an improv class oh yeah like yeah not uh, at ucb it was, it was uh, one of the clubs something like that yeah he yeah. said it was, it was he said it was horrible but it was good because it forced him to get on stage that is yeah there's there's yeah. benefit to that absolutely just by itself no i didn't uh take any classes i actually had kind of a bad start as a stand-up because I wasn't taking it seriously. I wasn't in the community. I was trying to attack it from, like, I was trying to do a get-rich-quick version of being a stand-up comedian. Which would... I just thought that I was so good, just, like, by without ever doing it. You That's know? good. I was hey, just like, I'm, I'm just a genius. And so I go, and there was this independent variety show that uh, I applied to, and they gave me a spot, like, months, months later. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote this set that was, like, eight minutes long, and I didn't memorize it. I had, like, all the little note cards. Mm-hmm. And I just had like a super friendly audience and they, they ate up everything. That's good. And I was like, oh my God, I'm a savant. Oh, that's not good. And so, <laughs> and so I was like, I don't need to work at this. I don't need to go do open mics. I'm not going to do a bringer. I just need oh, to no. do like whatever shows I can get. And someone's going to discover how brilliant I am. And yeah, it just gave me a real bad, I just had a bad attitude towards stand-up for a very long time. I was getting screwed. I was like, I was like, this system is screwing. Well, I'm a genius. It's no always, one will give me my tape. It's always bad when you do well your first time. Mm-hmm. Because more, I mean, because then you take those same jokes somewhere else and they bomb and you're like, yeah. well, what's wrong with these people? Yeah. This was killing a few uh, nights 100%. ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and then, so how did you respond to that? It was difficult. I'm trying to remember because it was so long ago. Like my second show was bad. Really? It was real, real bad. And so I was trying to figure out like what the issue was. Well, explain like what that does to you. Because like bombing, it happens to everybody. It's go If you're going to do stand up, you will bomb. 100%. Yeah. And the first time it happens to you, especially if it's your second time out and you did well the first time. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's an added kind of like, because it is, it sucks. Yeah, it really does. I mean, it's dramatic. It really does. I guess I don't know. I think that my uh, my immediate reaction was like, uh, "Did you ever want to do it again?" Um, I wasn't gonna do it uh, anytime soon. <laughs> it was just I, I I I was recognizing the fact that I didn't have a single joke that worked twice, and so uh-huh. I would write something new, 
and something else would hit and I would I would kind of like attach myself to that joke and be like, oh, look, see, I am a genius because that joke worked. And then I would try that joke somewhere else and it wouldn't work. But then something else that I had written would work. I was writing new material all the time uh, and just like trying things. It wasn't weird to me. Like I was like, the only thing that I can do is write new material because my repeat jokes, they just die. Huh. You know, and so I just had that attitude. I was doing shows like once a month, once every two months and, you know, mainly doing just like brand new sets each time yeah. and just slowly whittling my way to like five minutes of real just trite, you know, nonsense that <laughs> was just like, you know, just like real tepid, hacky garbage that was kind of working repeatedly, you oh, know. And it really took this one guy who I was like friends of a friends with and I ran into him at a show and he had no bones about doing bringers, about about uh, flyering on the street, all things that I thought I was above because I was so brilliant. He just he was just doing it. And he taught me a lot about just sucking it up, you know, and just being like, if this is something that you want to do, then you just have to get out there and take your lumps and pay your dues. Bringers do suck. Oh, yeah. They're <laughs> I mean, the worst. Because you're like, first of all, if I'm going to test material out, I don't want anyone I really know to be there. I'd rather <laughs> test it on people I don't know. Then if they laugh, then I'll feel like, okay, come on and like. But also, you know, that's a lot of added work as opposed to getting the show ready. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about uh, your show here, Famous Dead People. Yes, sir. Well, first of all, you and you started here in the fall of 2016. We started at the same time. Yeah, right about our two-year anniversary. Yeah, yeah, right, now. right about, uh, literally. I mean, I think my first show was the 14th of November. Uh, happy anniversary, oh, my man. Thanks, it was right after the election. Yeah, we were in the same uh, training, or, training group or together. Was it? Yeah, it was training. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, I wonder if that'll be kind of like drunk history. And it's is a little bit but not really why what is that no no, no i was burping. oh i thought you were like oh my god no uh, but i was also really curious as to if you thought it was similar uh only in the sense that it's like you know recognizable figures who you know are like okay drunk history is recognizable figures being put in situations we know happened but then we watch them unfold in very funny drunken ways that yes. you never imagined so with it's the, the real story told Funnily, as opposed to my show, right. which is people making up ridiculous <laughs> things that happened with right. these historical figures. For example, let's take a listen to one. Now, full disclosure, I've been on the show a few times. And uh, yeah, OK, this is an example. This is Alfred Hitchcock and um, uh, Copernicus. Copernicus, right. Yes, of course. Famous dead people. Famous dead people. Famous stories stuck in the head. You're listening to Famous Dead People on Radio Free Brooklyn. And my guest today... Our 20th century British film director, Alfred Hitchcock. Good evening. And 16th century mathematician and astronomer, Nicholas Copernicus. Good evening from space. Uh, now, first of all, I really enjoy the fact that every time I've said hi to you, Mr. Hitchcock, you've said good evening, even though it's the middle of the afternoon. Yeah. Uh, that's just uh, wonderful. I always say good evening, yeah. even if it's morning. Let's talk about your first successful film, because we talked a lot about your past. Uh, but your first successful film was 1927. It was a silent film called The Lodger, A Story of the London Fog. Do you remember your first film, your first successful film, The Lodger, A Story of the London Fog? Oh, no. You don't remember this movie at all? <laughs> How could I forget? I'm Too foggy. just kidding. Oh, gotcha. It was, gotcha. A, it was a glorious <laughs> experience. It's a pretty good, it's a pretty good one. Hey. That was really funny. Oh, thank you, thank you. That was really funny. Yeah. I should. It's a good bit. But this was a, this was a, a scary, a horror movie. Yes. Um, uh, about a lodger, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what exactly happened in the silent film with this lodger and with the London Fog? Well, the... 
You have you heard of the film The Fog? Yes, John Carpenter. Pretty much the, the same movie, except oh. they had dialogue mm-hmm. and color, and it was taking place in Seattle. It was sleepless. In, no, in uh, in San Francisco, I believe. Sleepless. Yeah, like I mean, <laughs> sleepless in San Francisco. <laughs> well, so basically, my characters were overcome by this London fog, mm. and when it would clear out, they'd be gone. They'd be gone, or they'd be there brutally murdered. Mm. Or one of the two, or, inconsistent. Or, well, or, well, they, or they'd be there totally fine. <laughs> okay, so or they're there with pets. <laughs> no pets. Please. Oh, okay. That was innovative. Let's not be let's not be ridiculous. Okay. Right. Right. Sorry about that. Just, okay, so that was. Now I have to say, your show it is a lot of fun to do. It's a lot of fun. Thank you. And. and Okay, so I was doing Alfred Hitchcock there, and I've never seen The Lodger, the story of the London Fog. Yes. So I was just making all that up. Now, <laughs> which I gotta say, that is the point of my show. So, I want, I, know I you want do. people to come in and make up the plot of the, their most famous movie. I had on um, a lot of characters who you know haven't seen X, Y, or Z, and I try to pick something that's really obscure that they haven't seen because I want to see what they come up with. I want to right. see what their version of it is. I would love for someone to do, um, let's see, uh, an Orson Welles, and when I ask them to recap Citizen Kane, you know, it's the story of a, a plucky ingenue who, <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, well, how did you, th- like, what made you want to do that? Because when I, I think the first one I did was like Nixon or something. Not a crook. And I thought, yes. oh, I better re- I better look that over or whatever. And I was relieved to be like, oh, I can just make this up. How did you decide to go that route? Well, it was kind of based on one of my favorite uh, improv games. Okay. And I did, I've been on a team at the Magnet for a long time and I did long form over the UCB. But I also did a little bit of short form when I was in uh, high school, college, and a little bit uh, afterwards. And I just love being put in these short form games where you have to justify something specific. You know, so somebody will be, there's a, there's a game where like one person has a play in their hand and the other person is improvising. And so you're just reading lines out of this play and the person that is in the scene has to make up the reason why it makes sense. Right. And I love that. I thought it, it's it's so much fun to do. And I just wanted to be putting people in those situations and being, uh, let's make up what happened to Amelia Earhart. Let's make up, uh, you know, why Abraham Lincoln really uh, wrote the Emancipation Proclamation. Like, let's right. let's justify all these crazy things. And then when somebody gets something wrong, like noticeably wrong, like really you said you did this when you were 78 because you died when you were 56. Then we all get to justify it and come up with an awesome right. and hilarious and weird reason why what they're saying is true. Right. Well, and that's funny because I remember thinking the first time it felt like an improv game. Yeah. And that's what it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, fun. like, yeah, I didn't even realize that, that that's what it was based on. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, by the way, listening to that clip, there's I, I have re-listened to almost no episodes of my show like that description of the fog is hilarious well I'm and they're either gone or dead <laughs> or they're they're still there that's fine right. yeah or they're totally fine yeah that's great uh, well so i noticed on if you check out the um podcast on itunes and whatnot and you see the episodes the pairings are very funny and interesting yes. like kurt cobain and saint francis of assisi mm-hmm. mark twain and saddam hussein yes <laughs> leonardo da vinci ted williams gandhi jimmy hendrix and ronnie dangerfield and ben franklin is there anything that goes into the pairing like for example i saw ted williams 
was with somebody and Babe Ruth was with somebody else. Would you ever put Babe Ruth and Ted Williams together? No, I want them to be as disparate as possible. It actually really bothers me if I have people that were alive around the same time. Same time. Oh, right. I just okay, want it to be different and weird. And I want to see if, you know, like what uh, common ground these two improvisers can come up with. Like what? Like, like my favorite episode is uh, Elvis Presley and John Wayne Gacy. Oh, and I was dying during the episode because Elvis kept on agreeing with John Wayne Gacy. And, oh, yeah. you know, that's... Uh, as he ob- would, as he would. Yeah, those no. are obviously people that are, you know, living in the same country, not that far uh, apart chronologically, but they're still so disparate that it's it's just so funny to hear Elvis say, that's a really good point, John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know, John Wayne Gacy was known as the killer clown. Yes, he, serial killer. Serial killer. Awful serial killer. Awful serial killer. Put people in the crawl space, young boys who he would hire. Anyway. I want Copernicus <laughs> to talk about what he thinks about Alfred Hitchcock movies, and I want... <laughs> You know, uh, uh, Ted Williams to say, I've never heard of Leonardo da Vinci, like Leonardo da Vinci's <laughs> oh, great. Like, I want to have those disparate things. And it's it's funny to build the connections because they are so different. Right. Uh, I want to play one more clip. This is, uh, I mentioned Rodney Dangerfield and Ben Franklin, and it points out another aspect of the show that um, I want to ask you about. My guests today on Famous Dead People are stand-up comedian, one of the finest joke writers to have ever existed, Rodney Dangerfield. Hey, how are you today? All right. Good. Thanks for having me. Nice crowd. What a crowd. And early American polymath, one of the founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin. With liberty and justice for you. (laughs) That's very sweet of you. Thank you so much, Mr. Franklin, Mr. Dangerfield. Thank you so much for joining us here on Famous Dead People. Mm, Of course. Oh, yeah, sure. You're all right. You know, you're all right. I appreciate that. I'd like to actually start off with you, Mr. Dangerfield, uh, because you are, for my money, one of the best one-liner comedians to have ever lived, but I was surprised to learn that you did not hit until later in life. Like, your career really didn't take off until you were a little bit older. Uh, and the big watershed moment for you was you were a placement act on the Ed Sullivan Show in 1967. You were 46 years old. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Now, before then, uh, you kidding me? I had a rough childhood. You know what I mean? A rough childhood. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. It's true. My mother, my mother, would, my mother didn't even breastfeed me. She told me she liked me as a friend. Let's uh, let's uh, let's move over to um, to Benjamin Franklin for just a moment. Can you? Would you? Would you mind putting to rest? I know there's a there's a debate sometimes between like <gasps> what's the best you know East Coast city between Boston and Philadelphia. You were born in Boston, mm-hmm. but you left there to go to Philadelphia, is it, as people in Philadelphia suggest, because you realize Boston was a shithole, and so you were like, I'm going to get the hell out of here, or do you have love for your for your city that you were born in? I have to say, I agree with the people of Philadelphia. There you go. Boston is shithole. It is. It's a garbage city that's like liberal and weirdly racist at the same time. I couldn't agree more. Okay, so with those two, (laughs) what stands out to me And I should say, you know, you give total freedom to your guests when it comes to what they say, obviously, but also voices they use. In that particular clip, one was clearly trying and succeeding and sounding like Rodney Dangerfield. Doing a really dope Rodney Dangerfield impression. And the other, now we don't know what Benjamin Franklin sounds like, but I have to imagine. Probably not Probably not quite like that. Yes. But do you love that? Yeah, I love both of those. Because like when people come in, like Pat May, for example, when he was um, Copernicus, he just... Did Pat May. Right. And that, you know, because how is he supposed to know what Copernicus sounds like? Yeah, yeah. Do you prefer when people do one or the other? Do you per- prefer if someone comes in and tries to sound like someone? Or I have absolutely no preference. I just want my uh, improvisers to be as uh, comfortable being funny in whatever way that they know how. I've done a couple of characters on the show myself, and I've found that for me, 
I'm funnier when I do a voice. That sort of like frees up my creative brain a little bit. Um, I did one as a Genghis Khan with my regular voice. And I was really disappointed with my performance as Genghis Khan. I felt like it was really limiting and kind of like a, like, I don't know, like maybe I was relying too much on the joke of having a normal voice and describing these really violent things that I was doing. But then doing a Marco Polo voice that was really silly and doing a James Joyce voice that was really silly, those are the ones that I was really proud of. But on the same token, I had a guy in doing... John Lennon, no British accent even. Really? really? And he was hilarious. That's and he was funny. great. That's, you know? that's hilarious that he would just, like, yep, it's me, John yeah. Lennon, right yeah. here. He was being he was being particularly ridiculous, which I don't mind. You know, right. I do give the improvise. Hey, you guys can do whatever you want. Here are some ground rules, but basically, you know, uh, you get carte blanche. But the funny, the funny recurring bit that he had was he was, now that he was back, he was plugging a protein powder every chance that he could get. <laughs> That's and funny. so but I would that... ask him about the Beatles and he would be like, you know what the thing about the Beatles reminds me of is how many, how much gains you can get with my new protein shake. That's Max so gains 5,000. The, um, so you, you know, I don't want to give away, you know, any secrets, but you do encourage people. One of the things you say is don't talk about the afterlife. Don't talk about. Yes. What else? I said, don't talk about the afterlife. Don't talk about how you got resurrected. Oh, like, yeah. I think it's funny to skip over the most interesting thing, which well, is right. how did these people get here? Oh, and also I'll say like, it's funny because, you know, of the few characters I've done, Alfred Hitchcock, that's one that I don't think I can do. You know what I mean? Like an impression in terms of stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, it was probably the most fun because we were talking like, it didn't matter. Yeah. But it wasn't my voice. So I can see what you mean. Because mm-hmm. I would, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I could see if I just came in and was like, yeah, I'm Alfred Hitchcock, I probably would feel less likely to say something ridiculous. Yeah, and I will say an amendment to that mm-hmm. is I oh I, I insist that I have somebody do an accent if the person has a famous voice. Okay. And so I don't want someone to come on and do Rodney Dangerfield without a voice. I don't want someone to yeah. come on and do Orson Welles and not do the Orson Welles voice. Right, right, right. But if you are Abraham Lincoln, if you are Sappho, you know, I don't care. I don't Plus, care. Plus people get you... For example, speaking of Abraham Lincoln, when I went and saw Lincoln, I, you know, people, you imagine him having this like full scores. And then when you go and see Lincoln and he talks all, you know, airy and high like Daniel Day-Lewis did, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> but four or five minutes in, you're used to it and that's fine. You just, he's Lincoln. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think it actually is kind of similar. When I was listening to your show, you know, it doesn't take more than two minutes to just get established. Okay. That's this person. That's that person. And then you listen and you get it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I hope, As an so. audience member. I hope that you are seeing those people. I hope you're seeing Abraham Lincoln in the hats. I hope that you're seeing Alfred Hitchcock, you right, know, right, right. big fat body, you know? <laughs> yes. You know, when you, you know, that you've had a ton of guests, you're 201 two, different, right? different historical characters. Yeah. And that, cause there's two on each episode, right? Is there any? Two on each episode, except for the live episode, which we did with, uh, the Wright brothers oh, and, nice. uh, Fred Trump. Oh God, no. Oh God, no. Oh God, no. Donald, oh, Donald God, Trump's dad. So there's yeah. always more than one. Mm-hmm. So are there any that you know you want? Because, oh, that's another thing I was going to ask you. So when you send the email out, it's, um, you give people the option. Do you have anyone you want to do? Or do you want me to pick someone for you? So is there anyone who... Is there anyone you are kind of sitting on that you would like to do, but you haven't gotten to interview yet? I, I'm sitting on a couple of big ones that I want to wait. If I, I, you know, I'm, I'm constantly looking for new people to do the show. Mm-hmm. And I would love for the show to get to a place where people that are a little bit more notable want to come mm-hmm. and do it. People that have more TV experience, uh, people that are going to be more of a draw for people listening. Mm-hmm. And I am saving certain people for that. Like nice. if I got a big get, mm-hmm. you know, a comedian who has a really big following or, 
you know, somebody who I just have a lot of admiration for. It doesn't even need to be somebody famous, but just like mm. an improviser who I think is incredible. That's that's who I'm going to give someone like Hitler to. You know, I'm not going to give Hitler wow. to just you know one of my one of my friends of the Magnus. That's the one you're sitting on. That's one of the ones that I'm sitting. On. <laughs> that's funny. That's good. Yeah. That's good. So your show it airs what Mondays? Mondays at 3 p.m. and then we have a rebroadcast. I think at at the moment we have a rebroadcast Wednesdays at 9 a.m. and then the podcast version comes out a week later every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Gotcha. So check that out on iTunes and probably Google Play and everything else. Everywhere like that, that, yeah. uh, that podcasts are available. Famous Dead People. Very funny. Very fun. Now let's talk about your book. Your book is called The Kellyanne Conway Technique, Perfecting the Ancient Art of Delivering Half-Truths, Fake News, and Obfuscation with a Smile. It's a comedy book. It's a funny book. Yes. It's funny because you talked about feeling angry and going on rants and stuff and you hate Kellyanne Conway. Yes. And you, you know, you had to watch hours of her interviews and you said it just made you, it was very frustrating and aggravating. I would have a hard time watching that and being in writing, being funny about it. Not because it's not funny, but you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it's funny until you realize that, oh my God, she's actually making excuses for this psychopath, blah, blah, blah. Was that tough for you at oh, all? Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, I think the worst part about it is listening to the way that she delivers this material because in addition to the things that she's saying being terrible, she's also has a tone of voice that suggests that anybody who thinks not this way is an idiot or yeah. a liar. And so, and you're being ridiculous if you're making a big deal about this. The way that she, I think on Rachel Maddow, is talking about, nobody cares about his taxes. What are you, what are you, an idiot? Nobody cares about his taxes. Right. As though it was the, as though it was so universally true. And that, I don't know, that ego, that there's, there's just something about that and enraged me more than anything. And about, I don't know, maybe like a couple of weeks into writing the book, I realized that I could just read the transcripts off of like, uh, you know, MSNBC's websites. I was like, oh, this is so much is easier. Is it better? This is so much does, better, yeah. When you read them, does what she say make more sense or is it just that you don't have to hear her stupid No, it, of it doesn't make any more sense, <laughs> but it is, it's less infuriating because she's not being so cocky and not being so just obnoxious about it. Are you not just so, especially at this point, every time I ever see her on a show, all she does is be like, well, CNN doesn't like to cover all of this. You know, you spend all your time talking about Russia, that delusion. It's all like, you whiny little bitch. It's like, I'm so <laughs> sick of hearing them talk about the media coverage. It's like, yeah. no one feels sorry for you. That is a, uh, it is one of the techniques I talk about in the book. The book is, I basically break down like all the different kinds of ways that she lies and manipulates the people that she talks to in these interviews. And one of the things that she, that she does is repetition. And it is, it's not about the fact that if I tell a, you know, Jake Tapper the same lie a hundred times, he's going to believe it. It's about hammering a point into somebody's brain that is already a little susceptible to believing what you're saying. And if she says the Russia thing is a hoax a thousand times, she is going to convert, you know, a half a dozen people. And that is all she needs. You know, that's what Trump does. Yeah. It's the same tactic. I mean, this sure. is, the thing is, like, Kellyanne Conway didn't invent a lot of these techniques. She is taking things out of the gross Republican pundit playbook that has been utilized for decades at the very least. But, like, with Trump, it is worse. I mean, like, he is just... Oh, I think it's worse because he's worse at it. Like, well, it's more well, obvious. But also, it's well, and he lies about more things, but more blatant things like crowd size. First of all, who gives a shit? Mm -hmm. But second of all, the fact that he makes it this big deal and says it was bigger than Obama's when there's photos. Yes. Like, well, that's even, that's a tactic. 
but, but it's like, a manipulation tactic for him it's like okay he's just you know grandiose and psycho for her it's like why are you lying for this guy for money it's just for money you know you heard the uh their anecdotal stories about when she was still on the campaign trail mm-hmm. she would end interviews and tell the people that she was interviewing with oh i gotta go take a shower Really? Yeah. Is that true? I mean, it's as true. I mean, it hasn't been confirmed. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it's been in a bunch of stories. It is as true as we can. We can assume that it's true, basically. I but say. like so many people who have people who have worked in this administration and people who have fled, like Sean Spicer had a chance to kind of like at least be maybe forgiven someday. But he then he went on some talk shows and tried to be like, well, I didn't really lie. And it's just like, what are you people doing? Anyone just works in this administration? Money. Uh, when you, they talked about this on Pod Save America, which is a, a political podcast that yeah. I'm a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. Uh, that when you leave the White House, when you live, when you leave a conservative White House, you have two options: you can uncover the truth, you can you can be a hero, you can tell people what was really going on, you can sound the alarm, but you are not going to get the consulting jobs with Goldman Sachs. You are not going to get the television spots on Fox News when you. Continue to perpetuate the lie that everything that is going on in that administration is good and great and that CNN is lying. You are basically cashing a check. From who's paying you, though? You're, you're getting paid by the uh, corporate money machine that is behind uh, the Republican Party. So you're getting, you're getting jobs in finance. You're getting jobs with lobbying firms. You are getting jobs in media companies. But uh, even those people are fleeing Trump. Like, that's the thing. Well, like a lot are of my, they? Some are. I mean, like the Koch brothers, they really thought like his trade war, you know, that's one thing that they cannot just turn a blind eye to because it affects their money. But what is, but what are the Koch brothers still doing? They are still pumping millions. I don't want to say billions, but it might be billions. Mm -hmm. They're still pumping millions of dollars into the GOP, even though. But that's the thing. And this is another thing that pisses me off. (laughs) And it's even, I had a friend on the show very recently about he calls himself a Republican and he will not stop. <laughs> he said he didn't vote for Trump. He doesn't support Trump and blah, blah, blah. So he's all this down ballot stuff. You cannot pretend that there, you know, is pluralism. It is homogenous. The tr- Republican Party is the Trump party. If you vote for down ballot Republicans, sorry, but I haven't seen any that stand up against him and yeah. succeed. If there had been a coalition, even a small coalition yes. of Republicans that were trying to undo some of the damage. Right. Then I would say, OK, yeah, sure. You can be an X, Y or Z. You can be a never Trump Republican. But they are turning a blind eye to separating families and putting children in concentration camps. They are turning a blind eye to so much to sending the military to the border to protect us from a caravan of sick, poor people that will never show up in time for this. Like they're 800 miles away on foot. Yeah, you have a you have a president who is siding with uh, with our adversaries, with Russia, with white nationalists, with dictators, with murderous dictators. And you are doing nothing. Right. Then you're not allowed to be a Republican anymore. I'm sorry. And for me, it's, you know, I, I have lost count of how many things that have happened that should have been a deal breaker for yes. anybody who wants to call themselves Republican anymore. If, if for no other reason, then they're throwing children into concentration camps. The- that should be enough to stop you and everybody that you know from saying with that you can be proud of being a Republican. I don't care how much you really believe in tax cuts for the wealthy. I don't care 
how much you really believe that climate change is a hoax. They're throwing children into concentration camps. That is not something that I'm making up. And it is not even something that is happening just to people who are coming here, undocumented immigrants. It is happening to citizens. It is happening to veterans Mm -hmm. who are citizens. They are just being taken because they are Hispanic looking and they're having their families torn apart and children thrown in concentration camps. You can't, I don't care what the outcome is. Nothing is worth that. And But what they'll say is, because I've said the same thing, and what they say is, well, that's I don't support that. So, I mean, you know, that's Trump. I'm not a, I didn't vote for Trump. I speak out against Trump in my blog or something. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Trump is the president. He is, what do we call? Listen, every Republican vote that you make supports that. What do we call our presidential nominee? The standard bearer for that party. Yes. That is what he is for the Republicans. You cannot say I'm a Republican, but I, you know, don't support Donald Trump, but also Louis Gohmert and Matt Gates, all these Steve crazy King. people. Yeah. They are the leaders. Sure, you might have some mayor in, you know, Mission Hills, Ohio, who you really like and is a Republican. That's great. Yeah. Show me show me the votes that Republicans have made to stop these disasters. And then I'll say, you know what? Go ahead. Vote for a Republican that you think has the conscience and moral fiber and the backbone to actually stand up against this president. Then, yeah, go ahead. But it literally does not exist. It is not a thing that is real. And I can show you the fucking votes to prove it. A vote for any Republican up and down the ticket is saying at the very least that it is okay that you take a citizen of this country and take his children away from them and put them into a concentration camp. Sorry to get so fucking No, serious. no, no. But no, no, this is the truth. This though. is why I have trouble talking about politics in my stand-up, because I get this this but, angry about right, it. Right, because that's what I'm talking about. Like, I, I get this way, too, and, like, even talking about Kellyanne, because Kellyanne goes on... All this is happening. The world is falling apart, and she goes on CNN and talks to Jake Tapper like he, he's at fault for, you know giving negative coverage they cover what the president does if what the president does is evil bad negative that's not their problem yeah you know what i mean yeah. it's like you can't it's get- another thing that that's another technique that i talk about in the book is false equivalency is oh. is this is equal to that um how come you're always talking about the bad things that donald trump is doing as opposed to the bad things that x y or z is doing it's like well when those people do things that are that bad then i promise you we'll talk about it right but they never did yeah that's the point but the thing is and this is something that really bothers me about the republican party in general is that they have been spreading this lie about the mainstream media having a liberal bias when if you look at the data at least as far as the 2000 election with al Al gore versus george bush there is a visible uh, conservative bias to the mainstream media. Really? Now, 100%. Pe- you, know, you know people would push back against that. I don't care. I have the numbers. But, I have the data. Well, here's what I tell people. I have a friend who always is rolling his eyes about, you know, seeing he hates Jake Tapper. He's so smug, blah, blah, blah. MSNBC, it's so left. And here's what I say. When Rachel Maddow first got a show, I didn't like her. Not be- I Only because I did think she was kind of, you know, smug and would always make these jokes that weren't really funny and blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of was put off. You, first of all, I've gotten over, way gotten over that. <laughs> but also, you can dislike a personality, mm-hmm. but that doesn't make what they're reporting any less factual or any worse. Like, if you don't like a personality, fine. You know, I didn't like Jay Leno. I know he's funny. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And with MSNBC, for example, yeah, there are some people on that network who, like Rachel, for example, she is a very, she does not have any qualms saying that, yes, she is a liberal. Fine. The facts, facts are the center. Whether, you know, you don't 
pretend that certain facts are in dispute to give the appearance of fairness to people who don't believe them. Balance, it's irrelevant. Facts are the center. And they want to call facts the left yeah. because they sound negative. They sound bad for Donald Trump. What he's doing is bad. What he says is is bad. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that really blows my mind about people that still maintain to support him is, you know, they will take anything that you say about him negative and say, oh, that's just the, you know, the the liberal media spinning that. And I want to say, OK, well, let's just look at the things that he has said. Let's just look at his tweets. That alone should tell you that this man is an awful person and an idiot. Uh, just, I'm reading that by myself. I'm not CNN's not interpreting that for me. Yeah, I'm looking at right. it. He's an idiot. But and also, he's awful. when I do think back to this 2016 election and I think about even MSNBC comics like Bill Maher, they were not Hillary could not do anything and everything. And they would just turn to blind, turn a blind eye. No, 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 no. Yeah. They no, would 100%. make fun of her. They would point stuff out. They would say she was tone deaf. They would say she was, you know, too calculated and all this stuff. Well, this also goes back to my point about how the mainstream media has a conservative bias, which is, you know, take a look at any prominent liberal and the quote unquote scandals that have plagued them that have been mostly concocted whole cloth from the GOP. Yeah. And that gets exponentially more airtime. Right. Than an actual provable scandal and, by a conservative. And, it's and this so goes all the way back to, to, to Bush v. Gore. Yes. Uh, uh, George W. Bush was a famous idiot and he was making a thousand blunders a day and he was doing a thousand bad things a day that the media should have been on top of. But instead, there was a lot of very unfair coverage of the tiny slip ups that Al Gore was making on the campaign trail. Right. The numbers are astounding. Well, and how about the fact that the election came down to a state where the governor was the brother of George W. Bush, do you think Republicans would sit back and just be like, oh, that's fine? Yeah, no. No. And also, Bill Clinton, they investigated for years, and he was impeached for a consensual relationship that he had with Monica Lewinsky. Now, I'm not saying that— Oh, but was, he lied to Congress, don't forget. Right, okay, That was fine. such a, such so a big deal. put him to death. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump recently had—there was an expose in the New York Times about all the various ways that his family— and he have committed tax fraud, have c committed crimes. That was like a two-day story. We aren't even talking about it. Yeah. Why? They held on to this blowjob for years and impeached him. Because they had power. Because they had... But they, also because they were relentless. Somebody famous said, I forget who, um, they were talking about what's an impeachable offense. You know, it's some, you know, I don't know, Supreme Court, former Supreme Court justice or something. And uh, I heard this on Pod Save America. I think I forget where I got it from, but it was basically... Um, the person said an impeachable offense is whatever the majority yes. says is an impeachable yes. offense. But the difference is when we are the majority, we are not as fucking crazy. <laughs> and we should be. Maybe we should be. Yeah, no, I agree with you. But I don't know if we should. Like, I think that now we need to do whatever the fuck it takes to win because they will. Mm -hmm. And they're they're also cheating to prevent. Seriously, Chris Kobach, my home state of Kansas, he, like, first of all, I used to always say that, look, I don't know if he's trying to suppress the vote because he's a racist. All I know is that he's probably trying to suppress the vote because those people won't vote for him. But my friend who works in politics in Kansas still is saying that there are legitimate white supremacists working for his campaign. Like, this is a white supremacist. How, what's wrong with you people? And he's also the secretary of state. And he is taking polling places out of cities like Dodge City mm -hmm. where that's the only one. Yeah. This is cheating. This is called cheating. This has been happening for a long time. There have been stories that were that were buried uh, during one of uh, Mitch McConnell's uh, elections where people were complaining that their votes were being changed to Republican. 
This has been going on for a very long time. Right. And it, I the the And why aren't we I mean this is a problem that I've had with up. Democrats for a while is I I, I feel like they're <laughs> I wouldn't go so far as to say that. I do. We have to Look, I don't want to cheat. I don't want to be like that. I don't because I think if we do that, then it'll just lead to anarchy, like crazy chaos. There have to be rules and norms. Well, here's the thing. I I urge a little bit of leniency when criticizing the Democrats on this because they're they're facing a foe that has something that no other political party has ever had to deal with before, what? and that is a nonstop propaganda network. That right. is funneling bullshit into the ears, the willing minds of 30% of the population that mm -hmm. will just believe whatever they say. That hasn't existed since, I, th I think that started in the late 80s, early 90s. But it, So that's brand but new. It's, but it's, but wait, yes, mm -hmm. Fox News has always been conservative, right-leaning. But in the past two years, it is like, especially the evening uh, opinions, just those have become straight up state TV. Yes. Yeah. Which is scary. We're, we're agreeing different. on this. We're agreeing right, on this. Right, right, right. The other thing, yeah. and I don't think this gets enough mention, is money. There is, you know, people people talk all the time about like how great it is. Beto O'Rourke has, has raised so much and Bernie Sanders was able to raise so much money. It pales in comparison to what is available uh, at the hands of the GOP at any moment when, you know, thousands and thousands of people get together and rally and raise money for a candidate. Mm -hmm. All it takes is one donor to completely erase that lead. And the, in that regard, I get mad at our billionaires because we have a few. I, Michael Bloomberg, I think... Are you talking about our it, liberal billionaires? Yeah, there's not that many, but we have some. Michael Bloomberg is a good example. He's great. He's giving... I think he's donated up to like $100 million for races that have nothing to do... He lives in New York. Mm -hmm. He's donating to Maryland. He's donating to like, uh, I think, Massachusetts or something. He's donating to races because then he knows that those are important races for the causes he feel strong about like gun control and also he is willingly giving dishing out money to candidates all across the country for democrats because he knows how important this is like where but it's, is a, it's a drop Bezos? in the bucket we have so much less money than they do we're Why? They, they want to talk about who you like are you talking about individuals or i'm talking about the i'm talking about cons the conservative machine mm -hmm. has so much more money than every liberal in this country we're talking you know they talk about the hollywood elites mm -hmm. you know they talk about george soros you talk about Michael Bloomberg, but take all their money Jeff and put Bezos, it together. Jeff Bezos, where's our, you know, Jeff Bezos has, uh, what, like $67 billion? Give us $5 billion. <laughs> mm -hmm. Here's the thing. People people that we that we think also are doing such a great job for liberals as far as, like, donating are also donating money to Republican causes because they want to make sure they have a foot in the race. It's just a thing. It's but just, isn't that public record? Like, can't you look that up? Yeah, you can look it up. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, they, they had a, this whole thing about uh, In-N-Out Burger recently because they were still mm -hmm. donating to... To the GOP, but if you look back on their history, they typically donated more to the Democratic Party than to the GOP. Okay, but I'm at the point right now where you, we you can't just, donate any yeah, money. We were I just agree. Talking I agree. about it's you can't different call now. yourself a Republican in Toledo. It's Ohio. different now. I don't care if you want to, you, you know. Oh well, we really want to have our foot in the door in case we need to to uh, to to weigh in on some legislation. I don't care. You right. don't give money to the GOP now. It, it is, is unconscionable. And which leads us to what you're talking about with false equivalency. There is no comparison they could make right now that I, A, think holds any water, B, think should be taken seriously because no president, Republican or Democrat, has been this insane, this incompetent. It's one thing to be incompetent. It's another to be like flailing like a crazy caged animal yeah. like he is. Just sit there, shut up, get people who know what to do and let them help you.
Yeah. He's not done that for a day. Yeah. The one thing, one of the one of the, the solves that I use for these awful times is it's it's clear through anonymous reporting that the people that work there are miserable. That everybody there is unhappy. Everybody's got one eye on everybody else to make sure that who, who's going to stab me in the back, who's going right. to try to oust me. God. It's just an awful place to work. Everybody imagine? hates it. And That's he, the only thing that makes me happy about this is that at least those people are miserable. Do you think there's any, uh, it holds any while the idea that like, well, at least there's this person, at least there's that person kind of like to oversee I mean, I do feel better knowing that there's at least one sane person, although I can't name them right now because most of them have fled or it's, gotten fired. I mean, I but like just doesn't. I mean, what control do they have over him? It's it's <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you hear stories about so and so taking you know a document off of his desk that if he had signed it would have started a trade war with so and so. But I don't know. Well, I don't know. I do have to say, with all of this stuff, like the tax story, which was a huge, that took there was months and months of investigation, and those were crimes. Those were crimes that were revealed. Why? We haven't even been talking about it. There have been a lot of stories like that. Mm -hmm. Does that not worry you for the Mueller report? Because there's no question it that he's going to uncover stuff. It does. But if these things are just being like, well, who cares? Well, there's another thing. Okay, what else? It does, but I think that there, I mean, I have a lot of faith in Robert Mueller, a man who I did not know existed until he got put on this. Mm -hmm. I've just heard so many good things about him, and he's, and he's running such a tight ship. He's stayed the course. Yeah, and I don't and know. And when they attacked him, like this thing recently, yeah. where they tried to pay women to come up with fake uh, sexual assault allegations, yeah. and he he's found like, out. He's like, exposed. watch me shake, you know? Right. I just, right. I even, think if, even if nothing happens, what he's doing is good work, mm -hmm. and I, and you know, uh, everything will come to light. They won't be able to impeach him still, but it's but it, it will at least have come to light. And I don't know. In the very back of my brain, I'm just imagining him as like a government Superman who will find a way to I take care so. of this and, and find a way to protect us. That's probably not going to happen. But ninety nine percent sure. It's but not it is happen. important that we take the house or something. I think yes. I, I think it's crazy that we wouldn't take both. I know we probably won't. But like because of all the gerrymandering and the voter suppression, and who knows, maybe there's a hand in Russia helping out. That's, oh, there's 100% which is like, a hand in so, Russia happening. So that is where you really feel hopeless. It's like, yeah, get out the vote, but is it going to matter? Who knows? That's a I think, really hopeless, scary feeling. I think that if we, I, I think we can attack this with numbers. I think that if we have enough people, we can affect the key races that we need to affect so long as we have massive voter turnout. And so I would encourage everybody to get out there and vote tomorrow. And spread the word. Yeah, spread Tell the word. Tell everybody. Tell people to vote. It I is, mean, there's no excuse to not vote. I mean, like, be annoying. Be that person who posts something political on Facebook and say it everywhere. Post it on Instagram. Post it on anything that you post anything to. Yeah. I mean, scream it from the rooftops. Uh, if, if after the election, a bad one gets elected, a bad Democrat gets elected, you can cut my hand off or something. But I guarantee you it'll be better than the alternative. There have to be checks and balances it's insane and, and i hope these people know and i hope that it's true and i think it will be this will end whether it's tomorrow or 16 years down the road or 40 years down the road this period will come to an end and they will be remembered as either enablers contributors to a very scary horrible thing that happened to our country yeah and yeah, that's how you'll 100%. be remembered yeah i i will make it my life's work to make sure that they're, that certain legacies are forever tarnished. You know, we used to make fun of Mitch McConnell for being just kind of boring and a guy who looked like a turtle. Now, you motherfucker are yeah. an evil... You're a traitor. I don't, yes. I don't think that there's any question about that. I think that I think Mitch McConnell is a traitor to this country. Uh, so go out and vote tomorrow. It's, vote. It is the most important election, at least of our lives, Yeah. so far. 
All right, well, we've been talking to Jarrett Berenstein, Woo! host of Famous Dead People. I honestly, that was that was very therapeutic. Buy his book, <laughs> The Kellyanne Conway Technique. It's funny, a funny uh, look at what we've been talking about. Perfecting the ancient art of delivering half-truths, fake news, and obfuscation with a smile. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me, Of buddy. course, of course. And uh, listen to Famous Dead People Mondays at 3. Mondays at 3 p.m. Check out the podcast and uh, go see my improv team, University of the Magnet Theater. Absolutely. All right, thanks. You've been listening to The Next Best Thing. On Radio Free Brooklyn, as I say at the end of every show, every week, I never meant it more than right now, apathy is the enemy. Know what's going on, and even if you don't, just go out and vote for Democrats.